Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Hope you have a great time. We'll see you back in here in a little bit. If you hear the water, um, it's funny because Leah asked me, she's like, what's that noise? I said, what noise? She said, the water. I said, oh, yeah, that's for the heater. So, thankfully, we have heat in our baptism again. So, you'll hear that. It's just a circulating pump. Um, don't let it distract you. The restrooms are in the hallway if you need them behind you. This morning, um, we will just have a kind of a one and done type sermon. Uh, I enjoy doing series and enjoy walking through a book of the Bible, and we're kind of in between. Um, the next two weeks, you're going to have a series, a two-week sermon on the names of God, and Paul Crow will be preaching that. Next Sunday, a lot of us will be down at Skyview and down for the family retreat, and we're looking forward to that. And for those of you who will be here, uh, everything will still be uh, the same as far as our morning revived service. And so um, don't just miss just because you say, well, pastor's away, so um, that's not time for the mice to play, okay, if the cat's away. So this morning I want to preach to you um, a short message and uh, that's my goal. And Marissa said, Dad, you got to execute the goal, though. Like, can you bring it? And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. I think there's a lot that's going on in our world. And even I thought it was interesting. Uh, last week, our missionary from Italy, Doug and Dee Valenzuela, they were here with us. And, and Doug made a comment. And, uh, and, and I just thought it was interesting how, from his point of view of being out of our country, and then now being back, how much change he has seen. And I thought it was fitting uh, that God led us as a leadership to, to have a verse that we would revolve this year around and a goal. And, and a really, the Lord led me to say, you know what, if we're going to think and live right, we've got to think biblically. And that's, that's our whole thrust for this year. And I want to remind us of that this morning. And I want to encourage you that we have great hope. And while there's a lot going on in our world, and there's a lot that we don't have control over, we know the one who is in control of all things. And that we can trust him and that we can look to him. So this morning, what I want to talk about is authority. Now, how many of you would raise your hand and admit and say, I like authority? I like it when people tell me what to do. Maybe you do. I struggle with that. All right? I struggle with people telling me what I ought to do. I'm a big person. I wear big person pants. And I can do my big person things. Well, the reality is we have an authority over us. And it's critical and crucial that we are reminded that that authority isn't just someone who suppresses us or who wants us to live a certain way. And so he gives us all these rules and regulations that we've got to abide by. No, we have a true creator God who loves us greatly. And he loves us so much that he wants us to succeed. He wants us to benefit. And part of that benefiting is he's given us guidelines. It's kind of like when you drive down the road and you go around a sharp turn 
And as you're going around that sharp turn, there's guardrails there. And that helps you, especially during snow time, right? If you slip and, and slide in your vehicle because you went too fast, it allows you, all right, it keeps you on the road instead of falling over off of the road or off the side and to a cliff. God has given us guidelines and it's for our good. It's for our safety. And what he has given us is and should be our authority. And so we want to look at that. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Timothy, the second Timothy chapter three, we're going to look at verses one through 17 this morning. This is Paul's final letter. This is Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul. He's writing this from a jail in Rome. And this is kind of his last, his last goodbye. And so if you think about that, if you were writing something that was crucial and critical, you knew your life was coming to an end, you would want to write what is most important. And that's Paul here. And he's trying to encourage Timothy. Timothy is his son in Christ, uh, the son that he'd never had. But uh, Timothy is one that he had led and brought and discipled and, and, and shepherded and, and was growing and grooming him to continue the gospel and preaching and teaching the gospel. And so Timothy had traveled from church to church, setting up and helping disciple the churches and leaders in the church across Asia Minor. And as Paul is coming to a conclusion here of his life, he's writing a last letter that we have. And at the end of this letter, Paul wants him to understand some things. And so let's read that. If you would read it with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It'll be up on the screen as well. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, Timothy, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we look at this, we see Paul passing on to Timothy a picture. The picture is this is what the world is going to look like. This is what it is here and now. And this is what it's going to look like as you move forward, Timothy. Things are going to get better, right? The world is going to get better. People are going to be cheerier and happier. They're going to just follow you and love you. They're going to hold you up on their shoulders, and you are going to be a superhero to them. Is that what he says? No, it's quite the opposite. He gives a real description of what the last days are going to look like. Let me be real here. I don't know when Jesus is returning. I do believe that the Bible tells us that Jesus will return. I do believe that we are in the last days. I don't know when Jesus will return. It may be in this afternoon. It may be in five years. It may be 50 years. The truth is we are in the last days. How do I know that? Because of the, what the Bible tells us. Listen to this description and you tell me if this is anything that you hear or see or sense in our world today. People will be lovers of self. Well, you could argue and say, well, that's kind of been the way it is ever since Adam and Eve, right? They sought to please themselves rather than to listen to God. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasing, slanderous, without self-control. That's one that stands out to me. When I look at our world today, we're raising generations that struggle with self-control. Do I struggle? Sure I do. I love my donuts. They're good. Self-control. I think of the sexual immorality in our world today. I think of the struggle of marriages, of when somebody says, oh, there's something I'm not getting, so I deserve something better. Brutal, not loving good. I would even say we've redefined what good is. And so what we are saying today is good is whatever you want it to be. Or whatever I think it should be, I'll push it on you. Teachers are treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. People that want to look good but yet don't have the spirit of the living God guiding them and directing them. Avoid such people, Paul says. Why would Paul say that to Timothy? Aren't we supposed to love those kind of people? Paul's trying to warn Timothy and saying, these people are going to come into the church and they want to change the church. 
They want to change the teaching of the word of God. And that's why Paul finishes this section emphasizing what is right. He says, look at my life, the way that I've lived, my passions, my desires, the way I have tried to live out patience and loving kindness. Paul says to Timothy, you've done a good job of doing that. Continue on. You remember the persecutions that I endure, Paul says? Those will come, not just for you, Timothy. He says, it is for all. Indeed, all who live, verse 12, who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you live your life according to his word, the promise is that you will be persecuted. Now, at what level? It will be different. What happens this morning with our baptism is greatly different than what happens overseas at a lot of countries. I was talking with Zane and Mackenzie and others in our new membership and baptism class. And while we enjoy baptism and it is a command from God, and so it is not an option, we do it out of obedience to God and we should be obedient to him. Baptism for us in that is that outward expression of that inward faith. It makes it real to us. But when you are overseas and in different cultures and you aren't raised with the biblical knowledge and the biblical background, getting baptized is that stand where you say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, knowing that. It may cost you your life, knowing it may cost you your family. The persecution is real. And while I am thankful that we don't have to endure that persecution, there is something that provides strength in that persecution, and it makes it real. I believe with all my heart that Mackenzie and Zane don't need that kind of persecution this morning to make their faith real. I think that they have a love for the Lord and they have a desire to walk with him in obedience. But I wonder how many of us would be willing to say, yes, I will follow the Lord and what his word says, no matter what it costs me. And that's where we look at authority. There was uh, Neil Martin. Neil Martin was a member of the British Parliament from 1959 to 1984. And one day he was giving a group of, uh, of people a guided tour of the House of Parliaments. And during the tour, the group happened upon the Lord Chancellor, uh, Lord Haslam, who happened to be dressed in his full ornament. And, uh, and as he was going to his office, um, he stopped and he was having some interaction with the group. At one point in their interaction, uh, Lord Haslam uh, realized that... Uh, the MP Martin, and he looked and he saw and he said, Neil, not wanting to disobey the command of one so important, the group of visitors immediately fell to their knees. You might not have gotten that, but his name was Neil Martin, okay? And here was the Lord, all right, the Lord Chancellor, and as he spoke, the people said, Neil, not realizing that's Neil, and so they got down on their knees. 
I love this next story. In the years uh, 1014 to 1035, um, there is an English, uh, in England, there was a Danish king named Canute. King Canute, tired of hearing his uh, retainers flattering him with extravagant praises of his greatness, of his great power and invincibility, he ordered his chair to be sent down to the seashore where there he commanded the waves not to come in and not to get him wet. No matter how forcefully he ordered the tide not to come in, his order was not obeyed. Soon the waves lapped around his chair. One historian tells us that therefore he never wore his crown again, but he hung it on the statue of the crucified Christ. I think sometimes today we are no different than that king. We walk around with a sense of pride and arrogance, with a sense that we have the authority and the right to do whatever we want to do. In fact, that isn't the way a follower of Christ lives, is it? We are charged with the word of God. Our authority is the word of God. Paul says at the end of our passage here in 2 Timothy 3, he says all scripture, not some of it, not just a few words, not whatever you think and want to believe is true, not just certain stories. He says all, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired, meaning it comes from God. That word breathed out sends me back to the Old Testament in the very beginning when God formed man and out of the dust of the earth, he took man and after forming him, he breathed into him the breath of life. God has given us his word. It's from his breath. And so Paul says this, all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable. Profitable for what? It's profitable for teaching. That's instruction. That helps us to see what's true. In a world that wants to redefine what true is, this is our authority. This tells us what truth is. This right here. It's also profitable for reproof. Meaning it points out wrong. It points out sin. So not only is the Bible profitable for what is right, it also helps us know what is wrong. Paul continues, and he said it's also for correction. That's the solution. The Bible gives a solution for sin. It helps us to correct the wrong. So we have the right, the wrong, and now we have the correction of the wrong. And then he finishes with this. For training in righteousness. And while this is close to the first of helping us in our teaching, it is application. It is taking the truth and applying it. How does God's word apply to my life? How do I live it out each day? We have this. It is profitable. Why? That the man of God or the woman of God may be what? Complete. Equipped for every good work. 
the great aspect is this. God has given us what we need in order to live a good life. Not an easy life. He wants us to live a simple life. It's challenging and it's difficult and it's hard. But God has said, I will give you my word. Here's my word and it is all that you need to know what is true and right. It'll help point out what is wrong in your life. And while you may not like that at times, I'm going to give you a solution for that wrong to make it right. And I'm going to give you applications so that you know how to live it each day. That sounds like a God that loves us, doesn't it? That sounds like a God who, who didn't just set us here and said, hey, go live however you want. You'll figure it out. He's given us direction. He's given us guidance. He's given us his word, which is the truth. I promise it would be short, so I'm going to cut a little bit out. We see, all right, the power and the authority of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews 4.12. That is sharper than any two-edged sword. I love that picture. I've seen it in people's lives, and I felt it in my own life. When I'm reading a passage of God and where my heart is stricken, where there's something deep inside where I realize there's something wrong, something's amiss, I need to fix something. That's the word of God, that, that sharpness that comes in and it pierces me. It's perfect. God's word is perfect. Psalm 19, 7, Proverbs 30, verse 5, and Psalm 12, verse 6. God's word is perfect. If you look at it, there's nothing wrong. You may not agree with it, probably because we are, are limited in how our perspective is. We can't see the big picture. God's word is perfect. And you know what? God's word will live forever. 1 Peter 1, verses 24 and verse 25. It says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. What does it say? But the word of the Lord remains, how long? Forever. The truth is, God's word will be around much longer than you or I. This is the truth. It is breathed out by God for us. We could also take time, which we won't this morning, but look at Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church and there will be nothing that will stop it. Matthew 16, 18. So if Jesus has promised this. He has showed us how he has set up the church using scripture. Think about when Jesus was tempted. A few weeks ago, we looked at that as we were walking through the Lord's prayer. When Jesus was tempted, how did he respond? He responded with what? Scripture. The Bible. When Jesus was teaching his disciples in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, he was like, come on, guys, get this. Don't you know? You have the prophets. You have the Old Testament that testifies of what the truth is. And so he started teaching them and showing them what the truth was. We see it in the Apostle Paul and how he lived his life and how he preached. 
He said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I have declared to you only that which what I received. Who did he receive it from? He says, I received it from the Lord Jesus. His message was from Jesus, Galatians 1.12. And ultimately he says, I obtained to do this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I sought to do this only to preach God's word. Paul's whole mission was to be able to proclaim the message from God. So that we don't just say it's just Jesus and Paul. Think about Peter. What does Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16? When he says, listen, he's talking about Paul. Paul, he, he, he was sometimes hard to understand. But ultimately, his word came from God. As I close this morning, I want to give you some application. And in John chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, Jesus is giving some direction. He says, I've come to save the world. Now, I don't know where you are in your faith with Jesus. One thing is true. You have to make a decision about Jesus. Was he just a man, a good teacher? Was he a lunatic? Because ultimately Jesus is going to say some things about who he is. And you have to either believe that or think that he was a crazy man. Because here he says in verse 44 in John 12, he says, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm giving you my word. And my word will be your judge. And so we must decide if we will trust Jesus, that he is who he says he is. That Jesus came as the savior of the world to die in our place, to take our sin upon the cross. That he was buried and that he rose again three days later. You have to make a decision. No decision is a decision. Jesus says, if you, dis, if you choose not to, trust in me, then my words will come back and they will be judged over you. That's a scary thought for me to think about how many people will be judged. Because why? There is a supreme authority over us. We are the creation. We are not the creator. There is one creator, one Lord, one God. He made us and he placed us here on this earth. And we sinned, we disobey, we make bad mistakes. Even at our best, we can't live perfectly. But yet we have a perfect creator and a perfect God. And in order to have a relationship with him, we have to be perfect. That's what the law showed us. The law shows us that we can't be perfect. The law 
Paul says, is a tutor. The law tutors us to see that we need a savior, and that's Jesus. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for you and for me to take the full wrath and punishment of God upon himself so that we could have a home and a relationship with God forever in a real place called heaven. And there's a real place called hell. For those who choose to reject Jesus as their savior, you will spend eternity in hell. I don't say that. The Bible tells us that. That's not what I want, but that's what the perfect God wants. He is holy and just and right. He has given us a way to him. The way is through Jesus. God has not left us here without help, though. We understand who Jesus is and how he lived his life and what's coming in the future by reading his word. So, do you listen to his authority? There are many who approach me about different things about the times that we live in. Pastor, is it right to get the vaccine? Is it wrong? Pastor, what do you think about what's going on overseas? Pastor, what do you think of this? The truth is, God has given us his word. And I think sometimes we're so fixated on what the world is doing that we lose sight of what it means to have a relationship with him. Is there anywhere in God's word that talks about a vaccine? Anybody read it and see it? Is there anything in God's word that tells you what you should have worn or what you should have eaten this morning? There's principles, there's guidelines that God gives us. But God doesn't give us specific on every little detail. In fact, what he's given us is his word and his spirit. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the spirit of God lives in us to guide us and direct us and to unveil what the truth is. He wants us to walk with him. It's not about showing up on a Sunday morning and doing my duty and checking off the box and then going on and living my life the rest of the week. It's about an ongoing pursuit of a relationship with the God who puts you here on this earth to know that he has something special for your life to use you for his glory so that others can see who he is. We have an awesome God who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We have a God who has given us his word to give us the truth, to show us what is wrong, to help us when we do wrong, to make it right, and then to live in a way that pleases him, living out that truth. We have to be willing, though, to come underneath the authority of what God's word says. Do you know what the Bible says? Let me encourage you. Read it and study it and dig into it. And I'm confident that you're going to be able to see an awesome God who promises to guide us and direct us. 
He's shown that in my life, and I believe he wants to show you that in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to honor you, to bring you glory. You are Lord of all. You are Lord of all creation. And you've promised that those who follow you can worship you in spirit and in truth. And that we can have the assurance to know that you are there guiding us and leading us. Not into a perfect life, but a life with you. A life that has peace. A life that has hope. A life that goes beyond what we see and what we hear right now. Help us to sift through what's going on in our world right now. Help us to trust that you are Lord and that you have sent the Savior. The Savior is Jesus. The Savior isn't another person. The Savior isn't found in any other creature or created thing. The hope that we can have is found in Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for us and was buried and rose again three days later. If we place our faith in him and we ask him to be our Lord, there is nothing better in all the world. So I pray, Lord, this morning for those who may have not ever trusted Jesus, that this morning they would place Jesus as the first and foremost authority of their life. For those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, may this be a reminder to us that the authority that we're striving and that we're looking for doesn't come from ourselves. It won't come from another government. It won't come from another person. But the authority that we need in order to continue to live a life is found in your word. You've given us what we need. Help us to pursue you. In a chaotic world, in a time where we can be running and running and running and where we fail to make time to sit with you, Lord, may this week be different. May you help us to set time aside, to open up your word, to read it and study it. And Lord, may you reveal yourself to us. And may we be obedient to you, no matter what may come. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ, the church, that we can encourage one another, that we can sing together your praises, that we can fellowship. We seek to honor you, Lord, not ourselves. May you be pleased and may you be glorified. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about baptism. He talks about the new way of living. He he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound if we're followers of Jesus and Jesus made this big sacrifice? Does that mean that we can do whatever we want to do? By no means, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That's what baptism is. It's showing the significance of the newness of life. 
that we die to ourself, that we accept Christ as our Savior and, and, and what he did in that he died upon a cross. He was buried. He was laid in a tomb and for three days his body lay there and after three days he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death and he gives us the hope of a new life. I'm going to have Zane come first and Zane and Mackenzie are here this morning to publicly testify of their faith in Jesus Christ. This is Zane, Zane Keel. See, it's not too bad. You can't see all those people because of the bright lights. So <laughs> Zane, would you share about a time, a place where, where you came to realize who Jesus was? Um, there wasn't really a specific time that I could identify, but uh, at the earliest, it would have been about July 2019, I think, and uh, at the latest, uh, I think around January, after some time being here. And what do you believe that Jesus did for you, Zane? He died, rose again three days later uh, for our sins. For your sins, mm -hmm. for my sins, for all of our sins. Amen? Amen. So you desire to obey the Lord in baptism today, yes. knowing that this doesn't save you, right? This doesn't get you to heaven, but this is an act of obedience publicly displaying for each of you that are there today this is real in this guy's heart and it's awesome and i've seen the change in zane so zane because of your desire to obey the lord in baptism i baptize you now in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit Nice and warm, isn't it, Mackenzie? Sorry, Matt and Allie and the Pittmans. Sorry. This is Mackenzie Fuller. Uh, Mackenzie spent actually the summer at Skyview Ranch as a counselor. Uh, we prayed for her and uh, excited just to see and to hear all the things that God uh, did through Mackenzie. Mackenzie actually had some of our own kids in her cabin and uh, Mackenzie's here and she desires to obey the Lord in baptism as well. And so Mackenzie, looks like you have some stuff written. Yes. I'll, let, I'll let you read it there. Okay. Um, just a warning. If I look up and I see my mom start crying, I probably start crying too. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a Christian home and I've gone to church my whole life. So I've always known about God and I knew that he existed. But for most of my life, I had like a lot of fear and doubt and anxiety. Um, because I didn't know what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ. I didn't know how much different and how much better my life could have been if only I had trusted him sooner. He was telling me that being a Christian was more than just going to church on Sundays, so I knew, knew that I needed to change something. I started praying late last year and into January of this year that God would give me opportunities to learn how to live for him. Which I think is how my family and I ended up here at West Hill, because I wouldn't be up here today getting baptized if it hadn't been for this church. So I appreciate all of you, by the way, too. <laughs> um, and um, since coming here, I continued to pray for more life changes. Um, and he gave me the opportunity to go to Skyview Ranch this summer and, at, and to help lead kids to Christ. And at first I was like, why would you ask me to go? Like, I'm totally unqualified. There's no way. But it ended up being one of the best experiences that I've ever had, and every moment brought me closer to Christ. Which is why I decided to get baptized, because 
The God that died and rose again for me was with me and is with me and all of us every step of the way. So I want to live for him. Amen. Amen. So Mackenzie, is there a time or place where you've trusted Jesus as your savior? Yes. <laughs> and so while that may not be a specific time or a specific place that you remember, you have come to realize today what Jesus has done for you, right? Yes. And so based on that, Mackenzie, and your desire to obey the Lord in baptism, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I know we sang it earlier, but I'd love to sing it again. All right. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you so much. For loving us. Thank you for Zane and Mackenzie and for their obedience to you. May that encourage each of us to be obedient to you, to walk with you, to love you more, knowing how much you love us and how much you care for us and you provided us with everything we need. Lord, it only takes a spark to get the fire going. And Lord, I pray that maybe that spark has lit a fire in people's hearts today. That we would see your word as the authority that we need for our life and we would continue to live it. Help us to be obedient to you in Jesus' name.